This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. This is probably going to shock you. I remember when I first started uh, uh, my law practice, I and I would have people say to me, you, you look like an Indian. Are, are you an Indian? And yeah. I didn't know you You people were still around. His name is John Echo Hawk. He's a member of the Pawnee community in Oklahoma. He's also executive director of the Native American Rights Fund. I used to hear it myself. I'll be darned. Oh, I never, today, today, never occurred to me. I, today, I still have Indian people tell me that, that same story. That is amazing. That is really incredible. That's the, that's the headline of the that is. whole podcast. Coming up in this episode of Colors... Evanston, Illinois, has become the first city in the country to approve reparations for descendants of slavery. But hold on. I cannot support and I did not support the resolution that was in front of us, which was a housing plan that we had called reparations. Cicely Fleming is an alderman on the city council, which voted eight to one in favor. Her vote, the lone one against. Part of my issue with that was that uh, the money does not transfer to the to the black family or the black, black individual who faced the harm, you know, red line and housing discrimination. Her concern is that the money would be given to organizations that caused the harm. Why are we then going to, you know, give cash to banks and mortgage lenders who, you know, I would say current day are still active in that practice, right? That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Chris Core and I'm white. I'm JJ Green and I'm black. And this is Colors. Well, Chris, reparations. You've yeah. been talking about it for years. We've talked about it a few times on this show. And we finally got something going here. And we have someone with us today that I think is going to shed some significant light on this topic. We've talked about it before with people who were journalists and people who were writing about it and thinking about it and opining about it. But this is an individual who actually has done something about it. Her name is Cecily Fleming. She's the ninth ward alderwoman in Evanston, Illinois. So, alderwoman, thank you for joining us. First question. Um, you wrote... Recently, statement on Resolution 37R27, and that was a vote, I believe, uh, that had to do with the adoption of resolution of, of reparations for Evanston, Illinois. And let and let me just read what you said very briefly. Part of it. You said, let me be clear. I am 100 percent in support of reparations. I come from three legacy black families in Evanston who have suffered enough. I am one of countless such families across the country. Real reparations are long overdue. Then comes a but. Tell us what that but is. 
Yeah. So what I was saying is I support reparations for all of the reasons you mentioned and, and more, but I cannot support and I did not support the resolution that was in front of us, which was a housing plan that we had called reparations. Can you tell us what the uh, proposal was and why you're against it? Sure. Um, so as I said, it was a resolution. I, I don't know how much history you want in terms of what we have been doing in Evanston. Um, the resolution in front of us was a housing plan. So the housing plan was going to use $400,000, which we had set aside in our reparations fund, um, which started last year. And the plan itself outlined criteria of um, kind of Black ancestry here in Evanston. So I believe the years were 1919 to 1969. If you have, you know, if you had, if you were black and lived here during those times, if you were a descendant of someone who lived here during those times, um, then you would qualify under this plan. And what the plan would do would to would select 16, so one six African American people who would then be eligible for twenty five thousand dollars in grants. That grant could be used towards a home mortgage, um, you know, new home purchase, a current home mortgage, so to pay on your current home or, um, you know, repairs to your house. And part of my issue with that was that the money would be transferred right from the city to either, you know, a banker, a mortgage lender, or a contractor kind of on your behalf. And so, you know, in my eyes, that is a housing plan. It's a fine housing plan, you know, kind of housing program rather, um, but it is not reparations. And so I, I was not going to support it under the name of reparations. It's not reparations because it's the money's going to the contractor rather than to the family. Is that right? Well, yes, that's part of it. I mean, it's not reparations for a lot of reasons. I think part of it is uh, the money, yes, does not transfer to the to the black family or the back, black individual who faced the harm. Um, the money also could then go to a bank. And if we're repairing harm, which in Evanston, our identified harm we were repairing was, you know, redlining and housing discrimination. Why are we then going to, you know, give cash to banks and mortgage lenders who, you know, I would say current day are still active in that practice, right? Or, you know, undervaluing black homes, yeah. black interest rates being higher. Um, and when I think about what reparations has been for other ethnic groups, it has never once um, not involved a cash payment to those people. So in other words, this is not enough. It's not enough, but it's also not the right thing. Is that right? Not the right thing more than not enough. So we don't have enough money to do an entire, you know, true reparations plan. Um, at this point, we only have, you know, a little over a half million dollars in our fund. We hope to grow that. But um, even if we were starting with this $400,000, I think the way in which this plan is laid out, it, you know, simply does not qualify, does not meet the standard in my opinion of reparations. And, and the more people I talked to before we came into this vote on Monday, um, that is the same thing that they were finding. They were feeling like, you know, what, what is this? Although people will say they want housing support and, you know, a housing program again is, is more than welcome in the black community and many communities. This did not meet the level of expectation to be called reparations. Yeah. You know, we've JJ and I have talked about this and uh, I'm the white guy. So I'm the one who's uh, tried to, um, you know, learn more about what reparations was about. Uh, and I have. And it depends on who you talk to, what they think, how a reparation should look. For example, uh, there was thought that perhaps reparations means you build a, a very good school in a 
predominantly black, low-income area where maybe the, the kids there don't have access to good education, or you provide scholarships for kids to be able to go to private school and then perhaps to college, or maybe a hospital in an area that's underserved, or maybe a library where there isn't one nearby because they have, that has computers that um, kids may need, people may need, um, maybe incentives to a company to put in a food store in one of these food deserts that we hear about all the time. It wasn't necessarily about uh, giving people uh, money. Now, is that am I misunderstanding? I mean, I understand every community can have a way of uh, figuring out how to provide reparations, but there just seem to be so many different ideas on how to do it. Can you kind of clarify that for me? Well, I think you're right, Chris. I mean, many people have different ideas of what reparations is. So those things that you mentioned before, I think, are all valid things. I would say as a government official, that's just good government. So you hear about people talking about racial government, racial equity, which is kind of what I ran on four years ago for city council here. And that would really be kind of racial equity. Right. That would be put in a grocery store in an underserved food desert area. We, we should do that because we know that there's many things that happen where people don't have access to, you know, food yeah. service, right? And so we put the grocery store there because it's the right thing to do. And right. it brings, in terms of racial equity, it brings that neighborhood up to par with another neighborhood where people can access fresh food. I don't know. We start to murder the lines when we're just talking about things that government should do yeah. and call that reparation. Yeah, that's exactly. That's what I was thinking. You can't say, okay, this place doesn't have things that everybody else has, so let's give it to them and call it reparations. You can't do that. I mean, I think people do it all the time, right? And it's an easy it's an easy win um, for governments or for institutions or for companies, right? You look now, every company in America is hiring a diversity, inclusion, equity specialist. And pretty much they just want to make sure that they have checked that box. A lot of them won't really move the needle. Um, so I think that is why, Chris, I was so adamant about not only voting against this, but making a kind of a big to do about why I voted against it. Because if we don't start calling this stuff out, particularly on the government side, we just as government keep doing stuff that we should just be doing anyway. And we pat ourselves on the back and applaud ourselves where really we don't even investigate why we weren't doing the things in the first place. Well, let me, let me go back a little bit to Evanston. Uh, I'm familiar. I uh, was born in Illinois and um, lived not too Lived in Iowa, but not too far from Evanston. Been there several times. What percentage of Evanston is African American? I think Chris, we're down to somewhere around at between fourteen and sixteen percent, and, and that's another thing. We used to have more of a thriving African American community. Um, part of this program's kind of impetus was to kind of build back the Black community. So people who would qualify for these, um, you know, grant programs, they would need to purchase or pay on a primary resident and residents in Evanston. So someone like my sister who would qualify because of our lineage, who lives in Atlanta, she could not use the funds on her house in Atlanta. She had to move back here to make her home. And, and that's another part of the issue for me, which was not only, you know, we had the, you know, the ancestry part, which was fine. I did not care for the bank transfer, as I said, but then also, even if we've harmed you, we're now making conditions on where you must live. And so I know lots of black people who left Evanston for, including myself, I left for some time. I think we we assume that everybody black left because of, you know, income or because of cost of living. And I think that just falls into another narrative that, you know, white society puts out there about African-American people. Um, but if we owe you the money, if we've decided that we made a harm that we need to repair, that repair cannot be contingent on where you decide to live. Everyone. Well, how would you how would you ideally 
do it. Then let's say you've got $25,000 for uh, how many families did you say it was? Right now it's 16. Because 16 have- families. Yeah. Um, I mean, would you just write a check and give it to the families and call that reparations? Because that to me, I would because that's what the that's what the Jewish community received. I mean, that's what they, you know, they just the, the Germans, and of course we're not in Germany, but they just um, granted. I can't remember what the amount was, some kind of millions of dollars to steal Holocaust survivors, you know, who have suffered even more during the COVID nineteen, right? But then, all right, so so you do that, you give them twenty five thousand dollars to these uh, sixteen families, and then what is that? Then they're considered fully repaired, and and life is is fair for them, and everything is is rosy. I mean, I, I just don't. I, that isn't how life works, unfortunately. You can't buy your way out of uh, hundreds of years of uh, of of discrimination. I, I don't think, I mean, you can make amends and do the best you can now, but throwing money at it, I don't see how that really changes um, much to begin with, at least after a temporary period, the money will be gone. And then what? Well, Chris, you boil it down to an issue of, you know, that this is going to somehow rectify slavery, right? That this is, or, or discrimination. We're not doing slavery here in Evanston, but even housing discrimination. We, we know that's not it, right? I mean, Life was not peachy for any any ethnic group who received reparations, right? The reparations was really more of a symbolic um, gesture of saying, we know we have harmed you in this way, and you lost wealth because of that. So we're going to try to repay you. I don't think anyone is naive enough to say here in Evanston or if the federal government even gets their act together, that any amount of money is going to re- repair the harm done by the government for African-American people you know, nationwide or here in Evanston. But I think to subject us to reparations that is based on something that we don't get a choice in, it's for sure. I mean, it's almost insulting, right? And so I am not saying that reparations is going to atone for all of the things that Blacks have encountered. No Black person is going to tell you that. And not until white people start to think about their own personal responsibility, you know, and, and, and the repair that, that needs to happen is, are we ever going to have some kind of more racial harmonious times? Um, but there is you know, there is a price that can be paid. It's not ever going to be what it needs to be. But if we continue to just say, we don't need to do it, it's too complicated. We're going to do this program and build stores and do these other things you mentioned, then we're not making any progress, in my opinion. We're just allowing institutions and governments to do what they should have been doing all along then, and giving them a the path. Then explain to me why giving these 16 families $25,000, uh, a check for $25,000 is making any progress. Chris, it's a matter of saying that, hey, we know we've harmed you. And so my family, so my great grandfather bought land here a quarter of a, a block uh, back in 1925. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he went through to get that. I would imagine it was a lot in that age for you know his race. Um, why would I say as his heir, I'm going to take $25,000 that goes to the bank? Potentially the same bank that gave him a hard time to buy the property or cheated him with his interest rates or whatever might have happened. Yeah. Why is Why is that okay? instead of giving me the $25,000 as his heir, even as a symbolic gesture and allowing me to make the choice of how I want to use that fund. Um, Does that answer your questions, Chris? Well, I... Or is that going to change your mind? No, because you are not going to change on this. You know, we've well, had... no, it's not a matter of changing my mind. It's a matter well, of trying to understand Well, so here's the it, deal. Cause... We've had this conversation several times with several yeah. different people, and you come at it the same way every time. And... You know, I'm not trying to take a side on this, but as an African-American, I can see this is not it. This is a beginning. And, you know, just like we spoke a few weeks ago with John Boyd from the National Black Farmers Association, he said, 
you know, the Department of Agriculture used to make those loans to farmers, but they wouldn't give them the money. They gave the money to some bank and the bank we knew was racist, or I should say some of the people who were handling the money were racist. And, you know, what Alderwoman Fleming is saying, not much of that's changed now. So why not give the money to these folks? Again, I I don't have a problem with it in that I don't know what it solves other than I mean, if it's just a matter and this is it's it's not it's not the end of it, man. It's the beginning. Is it? um, Chris, let's think about it this way. So they and I and I am not a reparation scholar. I don't profess to be that. Um, So when slavery ended and the slave owners complained about losing their, you know, using their, their income and their ability, which were people who had they had stolen they received cash in replacement to, I don't want to say atone, but kind of for the, a supplement for the lost labor that they had lost. It didn't belong to them in the first place. You mean the free labor they were getting all those years? The free labor they were getting all those years. When slavery was over, they were able to put in a claim and receive cash just as if they were, just like they were able to put in claims, you know, with, with Chase Bank and all these other banks that still exist now for the slaves that they own. They were able to insure them. And so if a slave died or run away, they had a claim. They received compensation, cash money for that person. So this is, think of it in that way. If there's a class action lawsuit that you're part of, say AT&T or something, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you get cash money or even whatever it is from AT&T because the court has said, hey, you did wrong. You need to pay out. Now, that payout might not really replace whatever lost iPhone or whatever the claim is for, but the judge makes a ruling that you need to pay out because you did something wrong. It is the way the American system has worked forever. You're right. I see that now. I, I see so, that. It's a matter of if somebody is killed in a uh, yeah. drunk driving accident yeah. and <laughs> exactly. you can't bring the person back to life, but it's a way to, to try to. It's a um, remedy. In that same example, Chris, so say I say, you know, your loved one was hit by a car. The judge says, OK, well, they now owe you you know, 50 bucks or, you know, thousand dollars for your loved one's loss of life. That person owes you the thousand dollars. The judge doesn't say, yeah, you know what, Chris, you had a loss of life. It's worth a thousand dollars. I'm going to have JJ who, you know, hit your loved one, give Honda the thousand dollars. So you, you know, yeah, because yeah. Honda was a Honda car. Yeah, know. I get it. I, I get it now. I, I, that, I, I understand now. That makes that makes that makes good sense. You know, it's funny. You said something about tell me about the lot that your relative had in uh, in Evanston. They still have it. They still have it. So my still- great. Yeah. So my great great grandfather, you know, they came here from Abbeville, South Carolina, at the turn of the 20th century yeah. with yeah. many other African-Americans. Um and he was able to save enough money and he bought a quarter of a block in the red line area. Um, they had three houses at one point on at one point on this and, you know, some field space um, sold off piece of the lot to give money to another um, to his son who had gotten married and wanted to move elsewhere. You know, still in Evanston, but move and have his own home. He gave money to another brother to buy some land right mm-hmm. so that's how this works right you you have some land you cash it out um and then he kept three houses there one caught fire so they never rebuilt it and then one i have an uncle who still lives in and one was lost in a tax sale because as black people we don't usually have a lot of capital and taxes are very high and so one was lost in a tax sale so Especially my husband, in Evanston, you know. in Evanston. so my husband and i are actually in the process of buying 
those two properties back again um, for our own, you know, children. But if I have to now, you know, my reparations is you can buy this land back with the loan from the bank and we're going to pay $25,000 on your behalf to the bank. It doesn't really feel, you know, it feels like, again, a good housing program, but not reparations. Yeah. No, but I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking uh, a, qu- a quarter of a block of Evanston, Illinois, is worth a fair amount of money. This is a suburb just north of Chicago. And well, it's, it's worth it's worth more where my current house is because it's not a predominantly black area than it is where my family home is in a predominantly black area. Mm. I see. Is it uh, uh, what is the, is there a lot of racial tension in Evanston uh, because um I, I just would be unaware of it if I having, you know, been in that area, it didn't seem like that was an area with a lot of racial tension as, as there is in the city of Chicago, just South of you. I, there's a lot of racial tension. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know a lot. I don't know what we're gauging that on, but I think the issue here in Evanston is that we do a lot of priding ourselves on our diversity and all these other kind of things. And so one would not see the racial tension. Um, it's a little more tampered down. I think that, Black people who live here for the most part, you know, are like everyone else, just kind of living their lives and going about their business. But it gets to be a little bit suffocating when, you know, white folks who live here, our our government agencies, our schools kind of negate the tensions that are here or really negate the role that they play, right, in racial disparities. So our schools are award winning. But if you look at the numbers by race, they are not great for our black students. We still bus most of our black students for integration. They close the black school. My mom was in eighth grade, so I don't remember how many years ago that was. For integration's sake, we still integrate based on busing. You know, again, in this red line area of town, we still bus all of the black kids out of there to other schools. So we don't talk about that. We talk about how great our schools are, how diverse they are. But we talk, we don't talk about why they're diverse. Our police still arrest 20 percent more black people than they do white people. That was the kind of thing I was getting at. I mean, so there's all those things that happen here. But, you know, you don't see us on the news necessarily rioting or what have you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yes, yeah, there's there's racial tensions. I think we're just a little more, you know, polite. And I think some black folk it. here are I think some black folk here just, you know, it is what it is. And when you look at where you know, how other black folk are treated elsewhere, I think you can convince yourself that we're doing okay. And it also is quite exhausting to try to, you know, fight against institutions. Mm. Well, you know what, speaking of institutions, there were nine people on the, on the vote and eight other people voted yes. And you voted no. You were the only vote that was no. And you said in your statement, Evanston's government is basically asking black people whom they've harmed to quote, trust us more is coming when we have not yet earned their trust. You said this mistrust is amplified by telling the entire world via interviews and press pieces that our actions are historic, precedent-setting, and replicable. Again, they are historic in name only. You've gotten a lot of criticism for this. Would you care to characterize some of that? I didn't know I got criticism. (laughs) Honestly, I honestly, uh, you know, tried not to pay a whole lot of attention. So, um, you want me to tell you about the criticism or you want me to just tell you about the point sure. of my statement there? Well, I'd like to hear both, but uh, start where you'd like. Um, so the criticism, I assume, is all of the narrative around this is, you know, step one. This is only 4% of the $10 million fund that we hope to have. You know, this is one program. Reparations doesn't have to be cash. People have told me that there is some kind of, um, you know, criteria for reparations. I, I have not looked. I haven't looked for it and I haven't seen it. I've. I question what the criteria is given black people have never gotten reparations, but, um, you know, and I think that that's all right. There probably is a criteria somewhere out there. I, you know, I think this is 
you know, the first allotment of this $10 million fund that we hope to build. Um, so I, I think that that is all valid. And, and I don't question, you know, starting with $400,000 because that's what we have. Again, my, 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 um, my inability to support it is because again, it is a housing plan. It is a housing plan. You can find a housing plan in a thousand different places. I bought my first or second house, I think under FHA housing plan, housing program that if you take some classes, you get a grant, you know, so are the other housing programs lined up for African-Americans? Probably not. But even the details of this housing plan are really nothing special. So, you know, I'm, I'm fine with the criticism because mm-hmm. it's, it's 2021. And if we're not going to be bold and be honest and really try to move the needle on these racial tensions and racial inequities, then, you know, I think, I, you know, I don't know what we're doing in a human beings. A lot of uh, a lot of cities around the country are looking at doing something. Um, and I'm not sure what they will end up doing, but what message do you hope these other jurisdictions around the country take from this situation and your your position in particular? Well, I think one is you have to talk to the community. And I know um, this committee did some meetings you know, prior to COVID. I know housing came up as an issue that people identified in terms of you know, where help was needed. Um, but I think, you know, we did not, in my opinion, do our due diligence to go back to the community. So then we went into COVID. There was a, you know, years long of meetings. There were once a month, 9 a.m. Friday morning. Some people actually have a job. Um, so they, you know, can't, everyone can't make that time. And it's also during COVID. So I think when we're in a national pandemic and people are trying to live, we cannot say that, a you know, a meeting once a month on COVID is you know, on Zoom, rather, is community engagement. So I think we would have done ourselves a little bit better if we had taken this plan once it became available publicly last week and gone back to the community. Say, hey, here's what we come up with. What do you guys think about this? I think it also doesn't help that at the February meeting of that racial equity, um, excuse me, uh, reparations subcommittee, that a realtor came and made a presentation. And his presentation was we should have housing grants to banks as our reparative action. I don't think that, you know, anyone's looking for a realtor to, <laughs> kind of our reparations plan. No. Um, so I think there were some misses there. You know, this vote came up two weeks before an election. Um, so a lot of the community was kind of questioning that this was really a you know political opportunity or was it really what's best for the community? Um, and everything in terms of that you haven't read, you know, in the document, if you've taken a minute to read it, everything else, all the details have to be flushed out by a new city council, of which I'm the only person guaranteed to be there because I'm the only one running uncontested. And so people mm-hmm. really felt like in terms of, you know, just good government, it was not done well. Um, yeah. So I, I I would say to other governments who are looking at this, they really do themselves a disservice if they don't engage the black community. And I don't mean like a couple town hall meetings. Right. Like the black community really needs to tell you what they need. And you need to be less about what you think is best and more about what they have told you they need. So if we had said, JJ, you know, we're going to do. And at $25,000, I would just say is a lot because if we only are going to have $10 million over 10 years, $25,000 gets you, I think, 400 people. Mm-hmm. I come from a large family, particularly on my father's side. He is one of 11 siblings who were born and raised here in Evanston. I have a Google of cousins who would all qualify. Mm-hmm. So we're not you know, going to reach everyone we need to just given the criteria we have. But um, you know, I would caution other municipalities to really take their time. We don't have a feasibility study, so I don't even know how many people we're talking about who fit in this criteria we identified. Um, 
And even if we said, hey, you know what, guys, as Chris said, you know, this money is not going to make you whole. It is more of a symbolic gesture for us trying to make the right step. So based on the funding we have and the number of people, we're going to give everybody $200. I think people would have respected that a little bit more because, again, we know we're not making you whole. We're not bringing you anywhere near where you would have been without racism. But we're trying to do what we can with the limited funds we have. That's really interesting. That's a really good way to put it. Yep. I I, I totally get it now. Well, you know, older woman, Chris, uh, sorry, older woman, Cecily Fleming, um, you know, we, we've asked others, uh, particularly Robin Ruth Simmons, who was one of the leading proponents of this idea to come on the program to talk about it. And we haven't gotten any response from them. We thank you for being bold enough to say no and then standing behind your no. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Because, you know, and um, can't say enough about just how bold you are and brave and, and just uh, talented as well and for coming on the program. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, it was a very hard vote, as I said last night on CBS or wherever I was. Um, it was a very hard vote, but I, I come from a, a family with, with deep lineage here in Evanston and I'm the fourth generation to sit in public office. And so I, I take my role extremely seriously. And I had heard from so many African-American people when this started a couple of years ago, we started with a lot of fanfare and now that this had come back up, people were excited and interested. And I, and I just really could not, you know, in my soul, I could not tell our people this was okay. I could not tell us that we were getting these little bit of crumbs and we were supposed to pretend like we were having a full birthday cake. I just feel like we have got to really go hard for, you know, being truthful and honest about what is and what isn't. And if we if we can't do that again, after a year of people sitting in the house and, and folks dying and everything else we had to watch while we all were in our homes and some people outside, um, I, you know, it's just not worth it for me. That is absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day. We'll be back in two minutes with more on this. And then the stunner of the show, our surprise connection to Michelle Obama, former first lady. You're listening to Colors. I'm John Boyd, a black male from uh, Boyton, Virginia. It appears as though in the black community, the word black farmer has such a bad taste because of slavery, because of the bad history with uh, blacks and and the South and sharecropping, all of these things. Uh, Yes, those things happen, but we're still black farmers that own their farms. uh, And uh, Granddaddy Thomas would say, Land ownership is the next best thing to freedom. And when you throw the plow in the ground and you smell the ground, he said it's the smell of heaven. Every step you take, every step you make requires land ownership. You can either own some of God's country or you can be trespassing and walk on somebody else's. Mm. Those are the choices that we have. And especially as blacks in this country, if we can afford a new Mercedes Benz, we can afford five acres in the country. Go out and buy some land. And I believe that we can do better. And I want to change the perception of uh, farming and uh, agribusiness. Okay. I want more blacks to start looking at taking jobs in some of these agribusiness companies where we're totally absent. And I want us to start buying some of these companies, especially these athletes that can afford them to start buying some of these agriculture companies. This is Colors. 
a dialogue on race in America. Well, JJ, we've discussed reparations in, on several occasions, and um, everybody has a little bit different take on it. And, you know, it, it took me a while to understand what she was saying in terms of the $25,000. And now when she said it's like, I don't know, if somebody files a lawsuit against a drug manufacturer because people died of it, you, you can't, re, you know, you're not going to replace your father for $50,000. But Sometimes judges say, okay, you owe all these people $50,000. Done replace it. It's a matter of owning up to the fact that you messed up, and this is sort of a, a way to apologize. I guess that's the best way she was trying to um, to tell me. And if so, I, I do understand that. It's I, I, I get it. I, 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 my, my, the reason I was wrestling with it is because, and then at some point later on, she said, well, we still don't have a good school here, and that's why I go back again to the idea of well, money like that could be used to build a really good school in areas that need good schools. But, um, you know, maybe but, we all have different ideas. Yeah, but but then again, you have those who disagree with the idea of putting the money into schools, you know, or putting the money into college scholarships or food stores, things that should be done anyway. Yeah, yeah, you know, I and get, then, yeah that's right. So that's the problem. You know, those are those are things that everybody has a right to. So then trying to say this is a special gift or <laughs> no, man. So, but, you know, you know the, well, let, let me, well, let me take the food store a bit a, a little bit separately. So that's a private enterprise. Right? So my point of saying, if you took some of that money to incentivize uh, Safeway, I don't know what chain is in Evanston, but let's say Safeway and, and Safeway, you say, well, you know, we need a store down here and Safeway would say, I don't think we'll make enough money. I'll tell you what. We will, you know, give you tax free. We'll give you this break. We'll help whatever it takes to incentivize you. But this is one of those fr- food deserts, and we need a, a good grocery store down here for people to have access to good, um, you know, good fresh fruits and vegetables and other types of food. So that's but that, that wouldn't that wouldn't count against what wouldn't count as reparations though. Uh, well, maybe not as reparations, but no. it would be you. What your things you're saying? Government can do government would have to decide they're going to incentivize. And I guess they do that, don't they? They do that in some cases where they try to create, um, they do give people, you know, we, ironically who they give big uh, tax breaks to are people that are building stadiums. So I guess they could certainly do that for a grocery store. Yeah. And the, the part of this is really important to, to note here is that as, as, as older woman Fleming said, you can't, take something that people have a right to that you should do and then try to dress it up and make it look like it's something else that's special that you're getting. And the big part of this for me is that piece about giving the money to these contractors and banks and realtors and stuff instead of directly to these people as if these people can't be trusted with the money, you know? Well, also, if we, if we go back again to the, um, uh, to uh, John Boyd, John Boyd, the, exactly. Of the black farmers is like, wait a minute, you can't give that money to the bank. Cause that was the bank that wouldn't give me the money they promised to give me. Exactly. This is exactly what the point is. So that's why I totally get what she says. And it can't be all of these other things that we say are so great because there, you know, <laughs> Those aren't gifts. Those are rights. 
you know, and, the, you know, not that reparations are a gift, but, you know, that that's something that has to be done separately under separate cover for a different reason. And it's because you have to do it. You have to try to make it right. I mean, a lot of people have died and gone on, and they haven't seen a nickel of any of this that's going to be done. So that there's no way possible that you can fix it for all of those people that are gone, but you can do something. And what she's saying about this being a, a glorified housing program or just a housing program, I totally get. I do also see what other folks are thinking as well, is that we have to do something with this. But, you know, her point as well about this being a political situation that may uh, she may be the only one that returns to the council and may have had something to do with this. But I do think that she was very bold and good for for taking taking. I, this on. You know, she's willing to suffer the the uh, slings and arrows. And I, I I admire for that, that the fact that, she, as you said, it was uh, eight to one and the one who voted against was the only one willing to come on. Uh, yeah, they had to take some guts on her part. But so good the, for the her. Other, the other part of this, too, is that she's an African-American woman. You know what I mean? I mean, that that's really bold. Um, and also, here's the other part of us, too. She's young. Okay? I wish she. Yeah, she's young. I mean, she's got young kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, she, three of them. So, what she's doing is looking out for the future as a young person, you know, so clearly she recognizes that there's a lot more that can be done and it's not some, you know, it's not desperate for, for this to just be done and, and help me get elected or whatever. Some other folks may be thinking, I don't know, not to say that folks in, in, in Evanston are thinking that, but it seems to suggest, uh, she seems to suggest that there may be some politics involved, but you know, being a black woman right now, this is important for her to take this step to be willing to be bold, to stand out there on her own uh, when all of her city council colleagues voted the other way. You know, the reason, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Evanston. Um, my uh, wife's aunt and uncle lived in Evanston uh, until they retired. Uh, he was a lawyer in downtown Chicago and commuted. And, and then after um, after a while, after the kids were grown and everything, then they moved down into downtown Chicago. And I would be curious, he, unfortunately, they're both deceased now, but I would be curious to ask them if they knew that this redlining was going on. Because when you think of Evanston, uh, you think of a wealthy suburb. That's where Northwestern University is. It's a wealthy suburb just north of Chicago. Part of it's along uh, Michigan. It's along Lake Michigan, a very uh, pricey area. And my wife's aunt and uncle are both super liberals who would be appalled. Well, in fact, my wife's uncle uh, hired Michelle Obama. Michelle Robinson at the time at the law firm where he was a partner. Really? So he was very aware of helping to bring in. That was your wife's uncle. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was, he was, uh, he was one of the managing partners and, and hired her. He didn't know, he knew her very well. He didn't know the skinny kid that came to work there for a while, but they. Barack Obama. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. That's his name. I believe. Yeah. Yes. But, but uh, anyway, so they would be appalled by this. I wish, wish I could. His name was Bix. I wish I could ask Uncle Bix, um, did you know about all this redlining and how much racism was going on in this otherwise very expensive Tony Chicago suburb? But unfortunately, can't do that. That is a really amazing piece that you've added here because I've read Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. 
And I knew that story. I just did not know that this was the uncle of my partner's wife. How about that? (laughs) Well, he told the story. I mean, this was, oh, gosh, uh, probably about the year that that uh, uh, Barack Obama was running for president. And he was talking about um, because I think uh, Barack worked there for a brief period of time. And then they say if they were dating, they couldn't work in the same law firm. And uh, Barack didn't really want to work there anyway. So that turned out to be a good thing. But she was very good hire. And he was, you know, was thrilled and 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 glad that that they had hired her because she was a very smart lawyer. She was indeed. Um, is indeed. Is indeed. I'm JJ Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. A lot of big companies have come out with some big talk about what they're going to do to address systemic racism in the U.S. One big company is Bank of America, and they've made a big move, a billion dollars. So we made this commitment back in June of 2020. Ebony Thomas is the Racial Equality and Economic Opportunity Initiatives Executive at the Bank of America. This commitment really enforces the connection we have to our community, the importance of this in our community. And what we know for generations is that systemic racism has created a a racial wealth gap in America. And one of the elements of this billion dollar commitment or billion dollar plus commitment is, is to support those communities of color and to close that to help support to close that racial wealth gap. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. We really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, again, our email address, if you want to contact us uh, to suggest guests, or maybe yourself as a guest, if you've got something to say, or you want to email us and let us use your emails on our podcast, you can reach us at thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. Well, as we step out today, I want to say thank you to Chris Core for being Chris Core and always digging and always pushing. I really appreciate that. Thanks to the city of Evanston for being willing to take a swing at reparation so other cities can learn from them. Thanks to Jess in Alderman Cicely Fleming's office. Thanks to Hillary Howard, Mike Chakaitis, Dimitri Sotis, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Ann Core, Gina Baysmore, Sean Anderson, Peggy Byer, Jeru Banday, Vanessa Cook, and for the music. Jesse Gallagher, Cosmic, and Offshane. And of course, thank you for listening. As always, I'd like to urge you to just keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.